Uncertainty is an uncomfortable position, but certainty is an absurd one, wrote Voltaire. It's a useful maxim for life and true of investing, particularly when seemingly indestructible giant companies are involved. I'm Alex Newman, a writer at the Investors Chronicle, and you're listening to a special podcast on BHP Billiton, the huge Anglo-Australian diversified miner, which for many years carried with it the iron-cast veneer of certainty. This week, the company published its results for the year to June, and they do not make for pretty reading. In the space of two years, revenues have declined 46%, operating profits of $23 billion have swung to a loss of $6.2 billion, and the dividend so beloved of income-seeking investors has paired back from $1.21 to $0.30 a share. Of course, many of BHP's woes are shared across the mining sector. After all, oversupply in commodities and weak prices hurts producers big and small. But each company makes its bets on specific resources, and getting the timing right on those bets often comes down to factors beyond a company's control. Unlike its London-listed peer group, BHP is also facing up to a Brazilian legal battle some are comparing to BP's Deepwater Horizon disaster. So why has the miner had such a rotten period? Should we expect a cyclical stock like BHP to bounce back? And if so, is now the time to invest? And most importantly, how do we even begin to value a company as complex and volatile as a commodities giant? When it comes to understanding any company, it's always a good idea to start with the asset base. BHP is really mostly about iron ore, and then copper, and then oil. You know, roughly copper and oil at various times are even. That's the voice of the Financial Times' Alan Livesey, who covers natural resources for the paper. And I write for the Lex column. Central to these assets has been one key story. China's once insatiable, now somewhat wavering demand for iron ore. With BHP and its rivals Rio Tinto and in Brazil, uh, CVRD Vale, their major output production, or what, what makes the most amount of money for them now, is iron ore. And iron ore has had a tremendous rally from lows. And what was a, a super bull market, again, up until roughly the 2011 period, 2012 period, kind of blew up as uh, China needed less and less iron ore. The steel industry in China uh, has always had overcapacity, but that was understandable when it, when the economy was growing as fast as it, as it was. And there's this feeling that China needs all the steel it makes, so don't worry about it. Um, that finally started to change a couple of years ago. And then the, a worse thing happened is they began to uh, export steel into the markets. And we know what's happened here with Tata Steel in the UK market and Port Talbot and everything. But that had a knock-on effect to reducing steel output from China. Now, China makes about roughly has about half of the world's capacity, one country, and is a major consumer of iron ore. So when it rolled over, bang, that stopped. They have continued to produce, and in fits and starts, there are occasional shortages of iron ore in China. China itself has iron ore, but not of the quality. And when I say quality of the iron, uh, enough iron content, you want to see well above, say, ideally above 60% in the iron ore. And the best stuff comes from Australia and Brazil. So does this year's rally in iron ore prices suggest the crunch in the market has reached a bottom? And does China's modest return to fiscal stimulus this year provide reason for optimism? Richard Knights, a natural resources equities analyst at Librem, thinks there may still be further pain ahead. 
the only thing that can hold commodity prices, particularly iron ore and copper, where they are, is a continuation of this fiscal pump that we've seen. But I would expect that to fade in the second half, given the huge growth that we've seen in the first half. Of course, the whole business logic of diversified miners is that there is not too much exposure to any one commodity. And in theory, this should insulate revenues from volatile swings. Following BHP's spin-off of its less desirable assets into South 32 last year, the three pillars of its revenue stream, aside from iron ore, are coal, copper and oil. You've got these four pillars, I suppose, and the, the idea being that because they're low cost and because you're well diversified, you have a smoother stream of cash flows throughout the cycle. That, that hasn't been the case in the past 18 months. BHP's actually been a higher beta exposure than other exposures in the mining space. High, by higher beta, I mean correlated more with the market. But in my opinion, that could change actually in the next in the next sort of 12, 18 months as oil prices stabilise and iron ore and copper go lower. Though somewhat unusual for a large miner, BHP Billiton's involvement in oil and gas dates back to the 60s when Broken Hill Properties, the BHP side of the 2001 merger, discovered oil in the Bass Strait in South Australia. But what's the attraction for investors here? Typically, investors say, well, if I want oil exposure, I, I might as well go and buy an oil company. However... At the company level, it does make a lot of sense because oil assets, uh, from an earnings perspective, are typically higher margin than mining assets. They're typically high capital expenditure, but low operating costs once they're, once they're up and running. And so, in theory, that would smooth out the, the cash flows of BHP or certainly help to smooth out relative to other mining companies. So I can understand management's thought process when they wanted to go into to oil. And, and in particular, they were, they were bullish on the energy complex. And that seems a, a sensible long-run thing to be bullish on, on the energy complex. BHP's petroleum division generated cash profits of $3.7 billion last year. Moving down the commodities pecking order, we find copper, yet another commodity under pricing pressure, which until recently contributed a lot more. Lex writer Alan Livesey again. Even though most commodities have bounced, so it's kind of been a bit of a problem for BHP. BHP, fifty-eight percent of last year's uh, operating profits came from iron ore, but the next biggest, around twenty-eight percent, was copper. And copper actually just hasn't bounced. There's various reasons for that. There's too much supply, partly that again is a demand issue in China, but copper really hasn't done so well among some commodities. You can see it's sort of sagged. Whereas iron ore has actually done pretty well. A rebalancing of the global copper market and a recovery in prices would be particularly handy for BHP Billiton. At capacity, its copper operations at Escondida in Chile are simply enormous and at around three times the size of the next largest mine. Costs, which in recent years have been hampered by lower grades, are expected to fall to around $1 a pound. However, the short-term upside for prices, currently hovering just above $2.10, remains subdued. The issue? The movement of the dollar hasn't helped, But ultimately, it all comes back to China. In terms of the outlook for copper, I'm very cautious into the second half. I think the market last year was a bit complacent with just how geared into Chinese housing copper is. You know, you see various numbers about how exposed copper demand is to Chinese housing up to as low as 20%. I think it's probably north of 50%. And that's a function of things like air conditioning units being very leveraged to new property sales and air conditioning units are 7% of copper demand in China. And if you include the copper intensive part of state grid spending, 
it's the most copper intensive part is the last mile to the home and that spending is only occurring if you're constructing new property now. The fiscal stimulus we saw at the start of the year saw property new starts ramp up very, very quickly at the beginning of the year. That's starting to roll off a little bit and I think that's probably going to accelerate into the second half of the year. The fundamental problem we have for copper demand and commodity demand in the world is that there is far too much Chinese housing stock across the country, in particular in the lower tier cities, in tier three to five cities, which account for about 75% of floor space in China. The fourth somewhat battered looking pillar propping up the house of BHP is coal, a commodity swiftly falling out of favour and in recent years, one subject to its own extreme bouts of volatility. So what's the value proposition for investors? There's a couple of things to think about. Not popular politically. And that was accelerating down as we went to last year and headed towards the Paris emissions discussions. But the other thing to think about was that natural gas in the United States has also been falling until very recently. And that meant that coal got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper in the United States, which is a, is a big producer of coal. A number of places are. And that kind of encourage more exports onto the water, more seaborne coal. China at the same time was slowing down, which meant electricity production was coming down. They have a lot of coal-fired plants. So their demand went down. It causes a lot of smog, so even more reasons to cut it down. So this momentum on the way down built and built and built, and it was just tanking. And of course, as soon as things get oversold, someone comes in and says, we need to do something about that. There was a positive factor in that China decided to try to control the price a little bit to help the coal miners in China a little bit. And uh, they tried to restrict supply and, and phase out these mines in a more orderly way. And when they did that, that led to a bit of a bounce in coal prices. Demand had to pick up because they had to import more. At the same time, a heat wave in the United States this spring and early summer meant that natural gas prices went up. So sometimes it all comes together and coal prices have actually had a good run in the last two months. I, I personally don't expect that to continue, but for the time being, it has been a strong performance in the last two months. One reliable feature of BHP's assets, however punished prices for their output may be, is that they sit at the right end of the global cost curve. Inevitably, this invites comparisons with BHP's largest peer, Rio Tinto. Indeed, UK investors tempted to buy shares in one of the larger defensive mining stocks are often faced with a choice between the two. But what separates them? The big difference between the two is, well, there's a couple of big differences, but one, BHP has oil exposure, Rio doesn't. So it would benefit from a higher oil price. Rio Tinto is more exposed to iron ore. But funnily enough, when the iron ore price is falling, Rio Tinto tends to outperform PHP. So we'll put that to a side for a minute. And the other point is Rio Tinto has a very large aluminium division. So really you're looking at, a, I suppose, an oil versus aluminium trade-off between the two companies. Rio, over the last 18 months, has proven to be the defensive name in, in, in the sector. The whole sector's fallen, but uh, Rio Tinto has fallen by the least. My view is that over the next eight, sort of 12 months, that could shift and BHP could become the more defensive name in the sector. And that's mainly a function of BHP being a little bit late to the party in terms of cutting CapEx. They held on to a mantra of investing through the cycle, which they still hold on to. 
but they're going to be cutting CapEx by around about $2.5 billion over this next 12-month period, whereas Rio's CapEx is actually going to go up by about $500 million in that period. So the impact of that on free cash flow to shareholders is significant. BHP also has a number of explicit cost-cutting targets to come through in this next 12-month period in iron ore and also in uh, conventional oil. So I think BHP's free cash flow relative to Rio's free cash flow over the next 12 months is going to is going to improve. From an income seeker's perspective, both Rio and BHP have fared much better than their more indebted peers, Anglo-American and Glencore, which at the beginning of this year were forced to cut their dividends entirely. BHP has also been forced to reset its dividend, but is this sustainable? Well, the most important thing was that BHP, Rio and Anglo all started to say, finally, stop talking about this progressive dividend. Which, if you think about it, in a highly cyclical industry, it's difficult to offer a progressively growing dividend. The, what they did was they called it a progressive dividend, and then they began to sort of say, it's a progressive dividend when it can be progressive, and then they finally gave up on the word in the last sort of six to 12 months. So what I would say is it's probably the worst is over now that they've begun to cut back on their dividends, particularly BHP and, and Rio. But BHP if you look at the last fiscal year, at least, if you just take the operating cash flow, so that's the main profits, the net profits plus depreciation and amortization. If you add those two together, you get the operating cash flow or a proxy of it. If you subtract from that investments, you get some sense of discretionary cash flow that's left over for things like dividends. In fact, they didn't have enough discretionary cash flow to cover all of their dividends, so they did have to sell stuff. That's happened with the oil companies, too. So, you know, it's a big talking point over the last year, 18 months. Can these companies even, even including the oil companies, even sustain the dividends that they've now cut back to? So that's something to watch unless commodity prices really do start to march up. Ultimately, the short-term fortunes of both BHP Billiton and Rio Tinto are less likely to be affected by decisions made in the miners' boardrooms than the economic policies enacted by the Chinese government. Liberum's Richard Knights again. Calling the mining sector has has come down to really whether or not you see stimulus, either fiscal or monetary, coming from the Chinese government. You know, that seems to be the main driver for for mining equities. And if you have a high level of social unrest in China, then you're quite likely to have a, a worried central government who are more inclined to fiscally stimulate the the economy or or use monetary stimulus. So we follow uh, a strike action index from the China Labor Bulletin, and in December that hit uh, an all-time high, and, and, and the majority of the strike action was construction workers not getting paid. Now, there was a, there was a big fiscal stimulus program unleashed in January, and as a result we've seen incidents of strike action fall dramatically since then. So it's one of the things that we look at to sort of determine whether or not we think it's likely that China stimulates again, because that could certainly drive the mining sector higher. The other major uncertainty for the company is a legal one. Last November, the tailings dam of the Samarco iron ore project BHP jointly owns with Brazilian miner Vale collapsed, killing 19 people, devastating a nearby town and causing widespread pollution. This week, BHP said good progress was being made on community resettlement, community health and environment restoration, and a set-aside or remedial fund to cover multi-year relief efforts. But an initial settlement is dwarfed by the compensation sought by Brazil's federal prosecution. 
which is asking the joint venture for $43.5 billion. So can investors quantify such an existential threat? Alan Livesey once more. I have to say, I mean, despite what BHP have told me, you know, I don't think it's not over till it's over. Uh, We will need to see a final number. They have put money aside. It doesn't look like it's going to consume the whole company, but it will continue to be a a sort of drag on the price. That may provide buying opportunities occasionally, uh, because some of it, and I'm not not saying that uh, lives can have a, a price on them, but there will be a bit of political maneuvering in order to get the most out of BHP. I'm sorry to say that, but there will be some of that. So BHP is sort of prepared for that. So from an investor point of view, there there may be opportunities here, but it will be a bit of a drag and it hurts. If you look at any investor presentation for miners and oil companies and commodity companies, almost always right at the front, they always talk about safety and not just we take safety seriously, but they try to show as much pine lost time incidents where someone's hurt and cannot work anymore. And this will, obviously, people died, workers died. So that's a major mark on their reputation. Uncertainty is set to prevail and not just in terms of battles with Brazilian judges and politicians. Though the company has reduced capital expenditure and reshaped its portfolio, BHP Chief Executive Officer Andrew McKenzie acknowledged in his full-year results commentary that commodity prices are expected to remain low and volatile in the short and medium term. So while the stock carries with it many attractions, including dollar earnings and excellent long-term low-cost operations, we think there are safer investments to be made in the sector. You've been listening to me, Alex Newman, for The Investor's Chronicle. The producer of this episode was Dom Toms. Until next time, happy investing. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.